0: Hi everyone and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm thrilled you're here with us today. If you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. And you can find them on any of your favorite uh, music platforms to download. For those of you that are new, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. So we're always looking for people to interview all around the world. So maybe, just maybe you can be our next guest. I'd love to hear from you. Just reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, World Alzheimer's Month is this month. And so we've got a jam-packed month of shows, which is really fun. And tomorrow, the Alzheimer's Disease International Organization is going to be releasing their annual report, which is about the journey of getting diagnosed. And I know that that's going to be a fascinating one. If you are looking for support and connection to services, products, and tools, please check out DementiaMap.com. We've got about 150 categories. There's lots of information and lots more coming on every day. So if you provide a service product or tool, we would love you to join us as well want to give a a shout out to the Project CARE study. They still need about 50 more people. They're studying um, stress levels of CARE partners. So you can email them at careduringcovid at rice.edu. Also, if you are looking for a support group, we have Arthur's Memory Cafe sponsored by Arthur's Senior CARE. And that is the second and fourth Wednesday of the month. That is virtual from 1 to roughly about 2 to 30 in the afternoon. That is central time. And then I also facilitate a in-person group just for care partners. And that is sponsored by Brookdale Senior Living of North Oaks. And we meet at the Shoreview Community Center the last Wednesday of each month at 10 a.m., And again, that is central time. We have a couple of international events that we're going to participate in. The Plymouth International Virtual Dementia Conference is uh, going to be held October 27th, November 3rd, and November 10th. And their theme is challenge and solutions during COVID in this world. I'll be speaking the first day, uh, that's Wednesday, October 27th, but it is free and we would love people to participate in that. Also, another international conference is being held on November 2nd, and that is uh, brought to you by the Dementia Research Charity Brace, and their topic is dementia together, and I will also be part of that um, international uh, conference as well. And for those of you that are looking at end of life choices, compassion and choices is having a virtual summit um, event on October 6. And uh, you can find out information about all of those by either emailing me uh, radio at dot or going to our website. Last I will mention is the brain donor project, we can't find a cure if they don't have brains and they need both healthy brains and those uh, that are diseased. So just go to the braindonorproject.org.
1: Introducing the life-changing foot bar walker.
0: I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The foot bar walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000.
1: Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle?
0: today, I know you're going to enjoy her. Well, Carla, I am so excited to have you with us today. For those of you that are new, Carla Hult is an Emmy Award winning journalist. She has won the Edward R. Murrow and Walter Conkright Award. I mean, talk about pretty prestigious. So kudos to you. She also founded a company called So Many Goodbyes. And she did that on Father's Day just really recently. And her company is all about helping people on the Alzheimer's journey. Um, And she does that through mentoring, workshops, and public speaking. So like I said, Carla, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. So thank you for squeezing us in. Thank you so
1: much, Lori. I am so grateful for the conversation and for making the connection to you. I know you are a warrior in this fight against Alzheimer's. So I just really feel that immediate connection to you right off the bat. We're pretty brand new and uh, just still taking the world by storm, we hope, and just really wanting to to reach out and help people.
0: You know, I ask everybody who is on the show, you know, how they've been touched by dementia. And, you know, I mentioned, um, you know with with your situation your your father's journey but can you tell us a little bit more you know like when did you start seeing things occurring was it you was it him was it family was it the doctor how how did you come on this journey
1: i'd say maybe all of the above lori and partly though i will also note that i Traveled a parallel journey. I was going through Alzheimer's with my dad at the same time as becoming a new mom. And I think that that is somewhat typical for those of us in that sandwich generation. We are bookended by babies and in some cases, dementia. And so I was seven months pregnant with my first daughter, and my dad was in the hospital, and he was under the influence of narcotics required, of course, for his surgery. And as a result, and this is an established study where narcotics can give you a preview of what's to come with your Alzheimer's journey. And so while I uh, still under the influence, he was delusional and very confused. And we experienced that and we thought, uh-oh because Alzheimer's was in his family, but this was so sudden and so unexpected that we thought, no, it can't possibly be happening now and in this way. And sure enough, it was just a shortened preview, but that did give us an idea of what was to come because after that he did regain a lot of his ability to remember and to function, but his decline started then, or at least we started noticing Then And first of all, it started with us as children and my mom as his partner. And it took some time for my dad to really accept what was happening to him. And we encouraged doctor's appointments and because he was so proud. And I think that this is consistent among a lot of people who are on this journey where their loved one might be in denial. And because we wanted to respect where he was coming from and the strong person he's always been throughout his life, I creatively navigated how to deal with it. And so I literally called his primary care doctor and just planted seeds of can you look into this and can you refer my dad to a neurologist and can we start to to give him the help that that he needs and that my family will need I had no idea of course of how much help we need throughout the process but I I will credit the Alzheimer's Association because when I was in that initial stage of my dad's denial and trying to figure out how do I wrap my arms around this I called their 1-800 number and I talked with a person who also recommended that approach of going directly to a doctor you know recognizing HIPAA rules and that sort of thing but the ability to converse as a family member and just say can you take ownership of this just because it will be easier coming from you. And then it it literally was months later and my dad called me and said that he'd received the diagnosis and also just really believed in his heart that this might be happening. And he said, you know, I think I have Alzheimer's and I honestly cried and I cried in part because it was his moment of recognition and perhaps a bit of acceptance. Uh, but I also cry because that part of our difficult journey was, was coming to an end. And now maybe the real hard part was beginning. And that was, you know, his understanding of what was happening to him.
0: It is so important to get to the doctor though, and it can be really yeah. difficult. I know with, with HIPAA, my mom, we had the uh, same issue. Um, we, we saw what was going on, except my mom thought she had Alzheimer's disease but for 10 years, her doctor of 40 years kept telling her it was menopause. Mm. And it was, it was just, it was an absolutely horrible, horrible process for us. And we had a really bad incident uh, going Christmas shopping. And my dad said, will you please call? Cause she'll pick up the other phone in the house. That's how they always were back in the day, true party lines. And the nurse didn't want to talk to me. And I had to get really stern with her cause she was throwing HIPAA at me. And I said, I'm not asking for information. I'm giving you information and you better take this down because mm-hmm. this is really serious. And um, she said, oh, okay, okay. And she did. And what I wanted to have happen was have the doctor call back and just say, Dorothy, you were in two weeks ago for a physical. I know you asked about this. I was talking with colleagues. Why don't you come in? I found some tests we could do. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened, though they instead, the nurse called my mom the next day and she said, your daughter called and your whole family thinks you have Alzheimer's, which was not at all what I said. I said, I don't know if she's had a stroke. I don't know what, but it was, it was horrible, you know, for us and getting to the right type of physician, you know, that neurologist in that specializes in dementia is really, really important. You know, I can't stress that enough because it will make the journey easier once you know what you're dealing with is as hard as it is to accept it will make it easier in the long run because you know what you're you know what you're fighting against then and what you're trying to support so thank you for that now you launched um your company so many goodbyes and and i know that you did a a television uh kind of a documentary really on you know your journey with your dad and shared it, it was beautiful i know i you know, welled up several times, you know, watching you with that. How was it for you to be able to share that journey on film that people can have this visual that we're not just talking about this, but I want you to experience this with us.
1: Impossibly difficult. It was the story I never wanted to tell. And I have new empathy. I have always considered myself a very sincere and empathetic reporter, but I now have even greater empathy for people who we ask on a regular basis to share their most fragile, most painful, most vulnerable moments of their lives with the greater community. And it is really hard. And I think what also made it so difficult, it is that it was also my dad's most private, most vulnerable, most painful moments. And so I really needed to feel at peace with this decision. He had given his go-ahead when he was still a little bit more rational and able, able to make that kind of a decision. And my mother fully supported and really believes in awareness and the power of sharing our story. So I've always been grateful for her support as well as that of my sister's. But I never ever imagined. I'd be on that side of the camera talking about the person who was the foundation of my life, the person who in every previous crisis was the person to whom I'd go for advice or just for stability or for, you know, I need a timeout, I need to, to ground myself again. He was that for me. And so for him to be at the center of this crisis and to be needing to really help him was drastically different. And we started documenting his journey really Inadvertently, I have been very involved with the Alzheimer's Association, but have been grateful and blessed to emcee many of their events. And here in the Twin Cities, we have a fabulous chapter and the largest walk to end Alzheimer's in the country. So I've emceed their event for many years. And I was just collecting video to promote the walk to end Alzheimer's and my photographer and I, my partner in this project, his name is Jason Stucy, and he is incredibly gifted and so dedicated. He's had a connection to Alzheimer's and his family as well. We, we started documenting it and we, we thought, you know, this, this could be something more. And, and part of how it could be more too, is that I knew we had more years to go with my dad and I was so grateful for that. But I also had access to all of the archives that I would ever need in the form of my own videos, my own pictures as his daughter. And so that which I would have asked from my story interview, I could automatically provide. And I had a sense of what would help to tell the story of who he was as a person, because I am adamant that whether it's my dad or someone I meet on the story, if we're talking about Alzheimer's or dementia, I want people to know who the person was before the disease, who the person is beyond the disease, because I want people to know that this happens to everyone, that we really all of us have likely have a connection to the disease. So it was really important for me to introduce him as a Minnesota dad who had an amazing career at 3M and who also gave back so significantly to his community, to his church, to new refugees, to the seniors in our neighborhood. I mean, everyone who was touched by his life, I wanted people to know that about his life. And so, uh, that it it all kind of just naturally organically developed. And before I knew it, we, um, We had the milestones that you have with within the Alzheimer's marathon, I often call it my dad's final marathon he was a marathoner and uh, we when we reached the 23 mile marker that was really hard I didn't think it would get harder but then of course as we reached the other milestones and finished the marathon we continued to document and i continued to kind of use the the story and my partner documented my responses as almost a video diary of sorts so it all came together very organically but long story short in answer to your question lori it was really hard it was really really hard to share that and i i found affirmation in the number of people who reached out saying that they felt uh, affirmed themselves by this, knowing that they also are not alone.
0: Well, I'm I'm a firm believer in storytelling. I think it's the most powerful form of communication that we have, and you know when you when you can tell your story and be vulnerable and laugh and cry, people automatically see this is this is real. This isn't staged. This isn't a show, um, but that there's heart connections, and and that's what everybody wants. They want that that deep love and. I know in like a lot of my trainings and stuff, I I talk about, you know, people struggle with the loss and you're so many goodbyes says that. I mean, it's over and over and over again. We'll get more into that, but I always tell people you can't have great loss without first having the gift of great love. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of flip that pancake and realize that, boy, how lucky am I to hurt this deeply? Mm -hmm. Because I have something so many never had that always helped Pull me out of the rabbit hole, you know, in in kind of telling the story. But I but I really do think by you being vulnerable and so courageous, it allows others to be able to share more of their story with others. And it might not be on camera; it might just be with family and friends. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it, it just might because that's a, that's a big step, people. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people are out there that are afraid to tell anybody of what they're dealing with. And so by you doing that gives them the courage to say, well, if she can do it on camera, I can do this too. So thank you and your family and your partner in crime in terms of pulling that all together. It really is a very, very important piece. And we'll have a link to that so people can watch that as well. Now you launched your company, which I thought was really interesting on Father's Day. Was that to honor your dad? Is that why you picked that date? Absolutely.
1: Uh, I'll be honest. I originally thought I'll, I'll launch on his birthday mm-hmm. a month before Father's Day. He, he has an early May birthday and I wasn't quite ready with all the technical details and with my website. And then I thought, well, maybe I would launch even on the day that he ended his journey, but that didn't seem right either. He passed away in the end of March um, and obviously I wasn't ready at that point because that wasn't honoring the full life he also lived before Alzheimer's. And then I said, you know what? Father's Day. Father's Day is the right time, both technically in terms of the company being ready, mature, ready to go to market, if you will. But also just it's very symbolic to this was a day I used to celebrate with my dad and he deserved that celebration. You mentioned that the love and you know, you don't know great loss unless you've had great love. I just want to say to that, amen. And I would also just say, I feel very blessed as much as Alzheimer's honestly broke me in many ways. I recognize how blessed I am to have been raised by him. My mom and dad both were amazing, but I was a daddy's girl. And I was so fortunate to have such an impressive and amazing human being as my father, who would become my role model in life. And I don't take that lightly. I don't take that for granted. And um, I'm grateful for that part of it. But I I launched, of course, as an homage to him, it's I consider so many goodbyes part of his legacy. I mentioned that he gave back to the community consistently at every chapter of his life. And that largely came from the fact that he had a really challenging childhood. He was from a lower socioeconomic family from St. Paul's East side. His mom and dad were divorced before the, the overall community could really support that dynamic he had nights where he and his twin brother were literally experiencing homelessness on a park mm-hmm. bench you know so he had a hard knocks life and so he always gave back and it just seems very appropriate that even uh, as he's left us here that he's giving back with this legacy and with this company of helping others in this oh. in the difficult journey
0: that's beautiful. And it's, again, it, it it states no matter what your life is, you can always improve it. And you can improve others, you know, by being vulnerable by, you know, taking the life lessons that, that you're given, you know, with that and being empathetic and compassionate uh, towards others. So, you know, kudos to dad. That's, that's marvelous. And I, and I really When I saw the Father's Day launch, I thought, well, that is really neat. And I'm thinking, I wish I would have done that for my mom, you know, but I don't even remember the date I launched Alzheimer's Speaks, you know, but again, kind of similar stories of, you know, they went through so much, taught so many lessons. You can't, you can't let that stuff just lie and and blow into dust. You've got to share it. Um, So I want to talk about, you know, so many goodbyes, because one of the things that you do, one of the services you provide is mentoring families. And a lot of people don't even know what that is, how that works. So I'm wondering why you felt that was necessary and how can that help families on their journey?
1: I think when I answer that question, and I want to acknowledge what does exist in our community right we have the Alzheimer's Association with their vast resources and the support groups that they offer we have the Memory Cafe that I know you've been involved in so extensively Lori and there are these different organizations and opportunities to connect and to get advice and to get that feedback that you need but I will be honest as a working mom of two little girls who was incredibly close to her dad and who was just trying to do it all I, I didn't have the time literally in my schedule to attend multiple support groups. I didn't have a, a connection that was super personal on the ground through the Alzheimer's Association. I think that organization, I within that battle that I sometimes describe this big war, we're fighting against this awful disease. I consider them a general, but they still need soldiers, captains, lieutenants. And maybe i promoted myself with this company to a captain, but they're still the general. I'm just, they did, but they need our help. They can't win this alone. And I think back to when we made those early connections to the Alzheimer's Association, I still didn't feel like I had an on the ground coach, an on the ground mentor who maybe could just listen to me or give me an idea. I I was so overwhelmed at every stage of our journey by the sheer grief that I was experiencing, that this was happening to the pillar of my life. And then, add on top of that the fact that we were making these monumental practical decisions to keep him safe, my mom and dad's finances safe there you know all the practical concerns you have regarding caregiving and your mother 's health and, and and all of those issues that really require time and attention that you're doing on top of that grief and I could have benefited i felt from somebody who knew someone who understands who has that quality of empathy. And yes, also maybe has some wisdom to offer based on my own experience, his, her own experience that you can sadly, you become such an expert so quickly when you're on this journey. And especially after you've gone through several stages, you know, even as my dad was still living, if I could have helped the person from five years ago or eight years ago, as we were trying to make those decisions, how much I learned in the time that he was still going through the Alzheimer's journey. It's just dramatic how quickly you become an expert. So I feel like that mentorship, that direct friendship, you know, mentor, coach, friend, any number of titles would work, but just someone who you can call, who will listen, who will know exactly what you're talking about, who can offer you some advice in terms of practical options available in your greater community. And this is where my roles as daughter and also reporter probably play a part. I've literally had families already who've said, I'm just, I am fit to be tied. I've just moved to this new community. I don't know what to do. I'm exhausted. And I literally took it upon myself to become the reporter and research all the options available to them in terms of elder care support and gave them these this contact person and several other organizations and programs that they could participate in that based on the feedback I'm getting has made a world of difference. So that's kind of what a mentor I believe does. My biggest role in mentoring families is to listen to them. And then if they have a pause or if they're asking for advice, offer what I can. And where I don't have the specific understanding, expertise or knowledge, Then I go and I research it for them. That is what mentoring for me is all about.
0: And correct me if you have a different vision on this, but mentoring isn't fixing. It's not taking over. It's really supporting and inspiring you to live your best life with, you know, whatever direction you want that to go. And, you know, for people dealing with dementia, I mean, they're getting shot at from all different angles. Like you had mentioned earlier, you know, you've got your dad but you're worried about your mom, got to figure out the finances you've got the doctor's appointments, you've got the medications. I mean, the list doesn't stop. You have their circle of friends. Do we tell them, don't we tell them, you know, how are they going to get around? I mean, it, it really can be overwhelming even to figure out a, like a med sheet, you know, what, how how did you keep track of the medications? We seem to be having a problem. We're not sure what's what, and there makes absolutely no sense for ev- everyone to have to try to figure that out themselves. And so, a person like you can give, you know, just that sigh of relief, like, "Oh, there is a path here." <laughs> you know, people have tried different things, um, is really, really important. I, and I think the the piece about being heard, and I think so many times as people you know we think we want that magic pill and of course we'd all like a cure you know so we didn't have to deal with this to begin with but reality is that's not happening but so often we're looking for that that fixer piece and what we find i think through anybody who's ever had a mentor or a coach finds strength within themselves they didn't know that they had and i think that that is modeled by the mentor to them is you know that leading of example it's that empowering of one. And I don't think there's anything more beautiful to watch kind of blossom and grow uh, is to see you kind of support and, and kind of light that fire within someone to be comfortable within themselves with what they're dealing with at the moment.
1: I completely agree. And I, I agree on all of that. And, and then at the same time, there is still that part of me that says that, despite being super strong and despite finding that inner strength, there's, there will still be, I believe, a moment where you, where you feel like your world and yourself is crumbling. Oh, yeah. And on those moments, that's where I want to say, okay, you're not alone. I, I just want to just be there, you know, in a, in a way that if they don't have that within their family circle or if they just need that objective, mm-hmm. that additional perspective on that truth, I want to to share that truth and remind them you've got this, you, we can get going, we can get through it. And, um, I I just think that there, this disease is uniquely cruel and there, there might be a moment where even the strongest among us might stumble. And that at at those moments, I want to reassure people.
0: Oh, I used to go down in my basement. I'd like, I make sure all the windows were shut. If it was summertime, everyone had gone and I would scream at the top of my lungs because I didn't want anyone to know How frustrated I was, how alone I felt. And and people like look at me and go, Well, you know, you got this all figured out. Oh, I just didn't like we'll open the door and like, oh, here I come. I got it all figured out. It it's never like that because you can have it all figured out one moment, and the next moment the same thing happens. You think you're reacting the same way, and the outcome is totally different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you are. You are going to have those moments. And I think, you know, one of the things that is so beautiful about a mentor is they allow you to have those moments and to support you through them. And again, like you said, to let them know this is normal. Nobody lives up here all the time. And if you do, something's probably wrong because life is a roller coaster. It was before dementia hit, and it's going to be intensified once dementia hits you're going to have higher highs and lower lows. And, you know, the key to me is kind of, you know, trying to stay on that, that middle platform where, you know, you don't feel those swings quite so, so grandly, because they can be so overwhelming. But I think having someone to talk to, I mean, I hear that all the time through groups and stuff, people really say that is the number one thing. And you had mentioned the Alzheimer's, um, 24 seven, you know, um, hotline that people can call, you know, kind of the Batmobile. Um, they have just said, I don't know what I would have done without that person at the other end of the phone. And then when you can have a relationship with the same person who's answering your bat phone, you know, when you need that call, they have that history, you build that, that friendship, that camaraderie, you know, you know, the story better. Um, so I think you can serve them better. Now, you also do workshops, so why don't you talk to us about who's your audience, and where do you do them, and when's the next one?
1: (laughs) I know. Thank you. It's an interesting time, right? All of us know that. COVID, hello, what wave are we in? 567th, I don't even remember, but I've had uh, several workshops doing more, and I'm doing them primarily at long-term care centers, which is why I brought up COVID, because Obviously, in-person events are touch and go right now, so we really want to be sensitive to that. But I've been grateful to be in several long-term care centers already to present uh, a, a presentation that really starts with saying, okay, this is me. This is my mission. This is why I have this mission. And I share one of my stories from care that really encapsulated my dad's journey. And then I share truly to the caregivers and part of the supportive staff, it might be administrators or what have you, the family perspective is what I call it. And I just convey to them really what the various emotions might be at different stages that families are going through as they especially move their loved one to long-term care and the kind of dramatic monumental move that is for them in their life. Not to say that caregivers and those working in the long-term care community don't appreciate that they do. I really believe they are the heroes among us doing the most critical work in our greater community, but just trying to drive home the really innermost insights of what families are thinking at that critical moment. Then I also offer some strategies and what I have observed as being really successful ways to both communicate with families and also to work with our loved ones who are experiencing this dementia and to, you know, really find the person again beyond the disease. So that is one audience that my workshops serve. The other audience that we serve are, are the families. And so that audience is, you know, uh, loved ones, partners, uh, children, uh, neighbors who are particularly close. So the community that might be moving their loved ones to that long term care community, or even considering it or uh, maybe they've been there for a long time. However, the long term care community defines the the family um, category is kind of who that particular workshop is designed for. But the ultimate goal of both workshops is to just bolster the bridge between caregivers and families. And it's not to say that that bridge doesn't exist already to some degree, but it needs to be reinforced because the crisis that we see down the road is only building, and there'll be more families. And we also know that there are fewer caregivers, and we also know the reality of how honestly, poorly paid, and in some cases, poorly trained caregivers can be. So to try our best to at least improve the communication and the understanding, and to have that as a starting point so that we can try to ensure the most dignified, respectful care for our loved ones as possible. That's really what the workshops are designed to do. There's a lot of more specifics within it, but that's the ultimate goal. And and, and so the ultimate goal also would be to to help our loved ones.
0: Well, it's kind of funny because when you're talking about the bridge, I'm like, that's it. It's our infrastructure, you know, (laughs) which is all over the news these days, but it's, but it is, it's really important to make sure that those bridges and walkways go two ways and that people know how to find them. You know, where are they? To me, that's, that's one of the things that's lacking so much. And that's why we created the dementia map to help people find those bridges throughout. But I, I I love how I love your approach in terms of your your workshops and your insights. As you mentioned earlier, the Alzheimer's Association, I know you're a big advocate and have um, supported them and you're going to be emceeing the walk or, or have emceed the walk, I should say that just happened this past weekend. And I'm wondering, what has that experience been like for you as as a whole, publicly standing up for for the association in terms of what it's meant and the, the difference. I mean, there's so many things, especially with, with being a journalist um, that yeah, I'm sure you're tugged on, you know, to represent and to kind of help be a spokesperson for, uh, were you, were you experienced with them prior to your dad or, did that all cultivate because of your journey with your dad?
1: It it was all natural and organic again. And it was directly related to my dad. I have a master's in international affairs. And because my dad was so involved with helping the Hmong immigrants and refugees in our community get settled here in Minnesota, I was always very um, involved and a strong advocate for international issues and specifically related to refugee issues. So when I would MC a lot, I MC across the board. I do a lot of MCing for those experiencing homelessness and other organizations too, but I, I would do a lot of work with specifically places like the American Refugee Committee, mm-hmm. now a light, but I always really tried to seek out those causes that were most personal and for which I could be most passionate. So when my dad started this journey and when I started to discover the value and the richness of the Alzheimer's Association uh, and the difference it was making in my family's life, it was just a natural segue to helping them with MC duties. They, they actually came to me first. I, it wasn't like I had come to them. They, I think, knew maybe I'd posted it at some point or, or whatever, but they asked me if I would MC, and then that just started our relationship, and uh, in terms of my pu- public appearances for them. In terms of, you know, being in front of a, a group, I will say there's no pro-Alzheimer's group. And so there's no issue of being controversial and saying, I hate this disease, I will do whatever I can to help families on this journey. There's never going to be um, that, you know, this polarized moment in our greater community. I don't have to worry about polarization when it comes to this particular issue. So it's a, a, you know, a no brainer to uh, really be involved. (laughs) pun in, unintended, you know, just to be really involved in all neurological issues, really Parkinson's and ALS as well, for that matter, my, uh, I have a dear cousin who recently passed away to ALS. So I, again, where I have connection, I will pursue it and and I'll bring the passion that comes with it. And in terms of being there and being with what I often call my extended Alzheimer's family. I have received so much more than I have ever given. And that is because, and this is part of why I started so many goodbyes, I think that there is just a natural relationship, a natural understanding. When you say to someone, I lost my dad to Alzheimer's. And if they know that journey, they immediately feel for you and grieve with you and appreciate where you've been, where you've come. And and I think that that is invaluable. And so when I've stood in front of those audiences, I've... I've broken down often and they've literally applauded me to continue. And in that, in those, in that applause, I've felt their love and their sheer support. So I've been, you know undoubtedly grateful for this chance to to work with them and and to just make that connection to the greater alzheimer's community and and I know you experience that too lori with your platforms and with your forums that i'm sure you receive as much as you give um in terms of you know you never stop grieving your loved one and so i still feel those moments of sadness and i'm still carried i feel like by my extended Alzheimer's family.
0: Well, and I think when you share yourself in the stories, I think it makes it easier to to live with the course your life took and the course their life took because now there's a it, there's at least a purpose to it, you know. And so I know, like like when I would go down in my basement and scream literally at God, and I, I and this was a huge lesson for me to learn, but I, I would scream, "What's the lesson?" And what I, what I would always find was that I really wasn't looking for the lesson. I was like, just kind of, you know, floating around and, and trying not to get sucked down the drain of depression and just overload and stuff. And then I, all of a sudden I, I would kind of get the answers. And I think when you are, you know, working like with the Alzheimer's association, when you're surrounding yourself with liked mind people, you know, they are so accepting, you know, one of the things from people with dementia is, you know, you're, you're not having a bad day, You not a bad day. Come here. <laughs> you, you walk in my shoes with dementia, you know, and it, it really puts things into perspective in terms of what do you worry about these days, you know, and, and everyone I think who has gone on this journey, if they're diagnosed or if they're caring for someone, you know, has broken down. And probably their biggest wish if they if they've had to do it alone was to be supported and belonging to a group or an organization or whatever it might be is so critically, critically important. I know, uh, just even on the Alzheimer's walk, you could feel the energy, you know, of all the people coming together, and it's not this depressed, icky energy, it's 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 about life and living and sharing stories and feeling connected. And it's really quite powerful if you haven't participated at that level. And did you build a team at all for your dad or?
1: Yeah, we've had the Holtz heroes for several years. And we initially launched really for my dad and my uncle Bill, his identical twin brother also passed away from Alzheimer's within the last year. And so he was initially not as public about it. So then we added my uncle Bill. And the fact of the matter is I've extended it to make it Holt's apostrophe after the S because of the, of the fact that four of the five of my, uh, the children in my dad's family. So four three of his five, four siblings all ended up passing away from Alzheimer's as well, and which is really quite remarkable. So I um, really, you know, honor that generation and our family who were such role models of truly selfless service and giving back and really made a mark on our community. And so now we are Hult's heroes in honor of my Uncle Dick, my Aunt Mary Jean, my Uncle Bill, my dad, and honestly, the generation before that, my grandpa Stan. I mean, it goes on and on, as many people with Alzheimer's in their family can attest. So we we do find it so powerful on that day. And you mentioned some of the feelings that that you experience when you are surrounded by people holding those purple, orange, yellow, blue, white, now flowers, is that I also feel like one of the emotions I feel is just love, mm-hmm. love it, that, you know, transcends everything else. And that can really, truly get you through that moment of ultimate and impossible challenge.
0: When you gather in a group, especially that size, it's not just an event. It, it's a, it's a movement. I mean, and you can, you can feel that it's a movement. Um, what surprised you the most about Alzheimer's disease and what people know or don't know about it, even within your own family? I think there
1: is so much reluctance. You know, there's the initial denial of the person who's himself or herself journeying with the disease, and that's hard. But then what is a little bit surprising is when other beloved family members really just don't want to acknowledge, accept the reality within our mutual loved one. So you know they might still say, Bob, you know, why can't you do this? And you know, and, or or whatever. There's that frustration, and and you can say it's science, it's medicine, it's the disease, but still the person that they know is you know leaving them for you know something that they visibly cannot see, and and that is really challenging. And I think that that is a surprising part of this disease, and that. You expect that people will be able to make the transition as your loved one is medically making the transitions, but our mind and maybe our devotion to our loved ones doesn't always work that way. We, we fight against it in every way possible. And we want this person to stay with us as long as possible, even if it, that is defying the, the biology and what is physically happening to them in that moment. It's, it's, it's shocking, but it's also probably human nature.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the physical changes are, you know, they trigger the emotional reaction and there's so many people that don't deal with their emotions. And just because it's tied to a loved one doesn't mean that they're going to accept it. You know, if that's, if that's kind of their pattern, I think of my, my two brothers, um, you know, they really didn't want to step up and step in because it was so painful. They wouldn't give themselves permission. And I think they, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I think, did they think they were never going to be able to pull out of that pain? Was that, was that their issue with it? Because, you know, I, I'm one, and I've always kind of been like, this is the only way you're going to get rid of the pain is to move through it. And you can't move through it if you don't recognize that it's there. And so, you know, but again, I know not everybody's like that. And I hear, that's probably one of the biggest um, complaints I hear from family members is, why don't they get it? How do I how do I change them? You know, and I'm like, "Oh, let me tell you. I was on that boat for a long time. You're right. not going to change them." Right. And the and the day I recognized that I wasn't in control of of their life and how they reacted, I had a lot more time to do what I wanted to do in terms of how I was going to care, and it really lightened my burden. I didn't even realize how much that weighed me down, but I think that that is something a lot of primary caregivers, um, especially feel they, they feel the need to pull everybody in, um, one for that person, but also to support themselves and you kind of just end up swirling and swirling around, but there are others out there that can, that can help lighten that load as well. Um, why do you continue to, to give back to the extent that you're doing? And I guess I, just in talking with you in the short time I've seen you, I I don't see you letting go of that. I see you probably stepping in even bigger, especially after COVID lifts up. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: Get through this pandemic. We can't wait for that. I, I think I will give back always because i felt fundamentally and completely changed by our journey. And maybe that speaks a little bit to my privileged life. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that it was so impossibly difficult. I, I, again, I was grieving. I was making those practical decisions. I was exhausted and I was ultimately just so heartbroken that to think about going through that day in and day out and to imagine people not having every resource that they need to get them through that. I don't want them to go through that. I really don't. I want to be among the tools in the toolbox. I want to be there for people to make it just a little bit easier for them. And yes, it's part of my dad's legacy. It's honoring him because he believes so powerfully in helping other people. But it's also because I, again, I was changed. I was changed as a daughter. I was changed as a mother. I was changed as a person because I I lost him. in such. again, I, I would... I often use this word in such a cruel way. I think this is a uniquely cruel disease. And I think anyone who has the the passion and the ability to help others needs to do so. We are all called if we can be. And if we have something to offer, I feel... we're called to, to try and make a difference in this area. And so I don't see myself ever shying away or ever pulling back at all. I, I will celebrate the day that my company is completely dissolved because Alzheimer's is no more. That will be a day that we throw a global party and the 50 million people who are dealing with dementia throughout the world also celebrate with us. But I know that that is really far down the road and is, you know, never a guarantee. And so until that day, I am all in for helping other people.
0: Wonderful. You know, you had mentioned about, was it because you had a privileged life and you had a great relationship, you know, with your dad and, but I have also seen a lot of people who haven't had a good relationship with their parents and they've been called into care and it's been extremely difficult because, you know, I had a great relationship with my folks too, but there are, are many families out there that can't say that. And yet the ones that do step in, I, you know, many of them have healed their wounds through care. And I think the other thing to me that was really important is everything that's good for dementia is really good for all of your life. I mean, all of those lessons lived uh, you can use them with your kids, with your partner, with your neighbors, with your coworker. I mean, it, it really is about teaching us to live graciously alongside diversity. And who doesn't need that? So I think sitting back and going, what have I learned? Because there's, there's great advice we can give. But I think sometimes even just having a checklist of what were some of those things, because I know people ask me that. and I've got a list on my blog. A mile long and people are like, oh, wow, I I never I've listened to your stories and I've taken your guidance and I've done this and I've done that, but I've never looked at what am I grateful for Mm -hmm. other than maybe a healing of a relationship or, you know, with my mom, I don't know if you experience this, but I, I always tell people, I learned new levels of unconditional love that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And at the end, and even after my mom passed, I look at it as it was a totally spiritual connection. I mean, we communicated in ways I didn't know existed mm-hmm. prior to, because it forces you to be present if you're going to communicate and if you're going to engage and so I think anybody can, can learn lessons. I think anybody can give of themselves to others, but I also think in this journey, it's about valuing your relationship and putting that first. Cause a lot of times we care and, and I know I did this in the beginning, it was, it was tasks. It was all about tasks because, you know, I was organized. I was overloaded. I was that sandwich generation. And it was just check it off, check it off, check it off. Cause that's how I did everything. But it taught me, it taught me to slow down and put first, was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain-free? And then I did my tasks differently. Have you ever made a list of what you're grateful for?
1: Right. And, and I I completely agree. I think that there are moments I do encourage people. I often say, savor the moments you still have. I think that when you're in it, it is. Easy to fixate on the goodbyes and what you are losing. But I think back to even when he couldn't recognize me anymore, my ability to hold his hand and look into his face and to his eyes, that is something that I miss so profoundly on this day. So I really believe in, in you know stepping back and saying to yourself. I still have this person here. I am still able to hug him, hold her, whatever it is, and that that matters and that's still so important even as I'm overwhelmed by the grief. I just wanted to also respond to what you were saying, you know, about the family's connections to each other and about how some people may struggle with the fact that they didn't have a strong pre-existing relationship. That is part of what, again, I recognize was, you know, my benefit with my dad. It made my journey maybe sometimes harder because he was such a part of me and he was such a huge part of my life and that big thing. But I also believe that because I did have that connection, I could more easily advocate for him. I also had a position with my work where I could be flexible and I could be more present. And so that is part of why with these workshops, I recognize not every family has either that relationship or that specific practical work arrangement that allows them to be as present in their loved one's life at this stage. So that's part of why I'm also trying to provide that family perspective, because we are all forgiven for all the relationships we we have in our lives, whether they are good and strong and positive or if they've had you know challenges throughout we, it's life and nothing is perfect. And I will say as much as I build up my dad, he also wasn't perfect. You know, we are all flawed as human beings. I also really believe that. So, you know, some people go into this stage with different dynamics within their relationships. And that's part of what I'm trying to recognize as well. So finally, regarding that gratitude, again, I just think looking back and just being able to really make that deliberate effort to still be present. I I think I'm grateful for the times that I was still doing that, but I I think I could have been better. I think that, you know, 2020 hindsight, I was so overwhelmed with everything happening that I, I wish sometimes I was even more present. I did call out my mom on a regular basis because she was especially guilty. I don't want to use that word in a judgmental way, but she was especially uh, apt to do this when we would go to see my dad. When we had moved him to a long-term care center, she would rush around his room and pick up his laundry and take care of any number of tasks, the trees, I often refer to it. And she'd miss the forest, right? She'd miss the opportunity. And I'd say, mom, stop. He wants to, he wants, because he, she would, he was, she was the love of his life. And he would follow her and she would almost be oblivious because she was so overwhelmed by everything Mm -hmm. would follow her around the room. And I would say, you need to stop and you need to just look at him and talk to him and engage with him. And I think that we all need to do a better job of that. If we're on this journey is just pausing and allowing ourselves to just be present.
0: I'm just going to comment on this because this is one thing that I I teach when I talk with people is, you know, families come in and, and that's a perfect example of your mom picking up the room. And, you know, staff always wonder, you know, nothing, nothing ever pleases this person. We're not good enough. And a Kleenex might've just fallen on the floor and housekeeping might've just left but families. I think are trained in their mind, you know, especially when you've got limited time that you're going to spend there to look for problems to fix, because that's the only thing that they can control And until communities build up kind of a a trusting relationship where they can relax from that, and like you said, just sit with your dad, our psychological circles of what's going on in all of our heads, it's very complicated.
1: Very complicated for each role. And I think, especially, I would say that the partner's role, when they had a lifetime truly with this person before yeah. they started this disease journey, I think that they're in an especially difficult position. And so I really honor the partners who are on this journey. I honor my mom and I honor everyone who, you know, really walks through everything with their loved one, the highs and the lows and the challenges because the day in and day out is exhausting.
0: And knowing that we can only do the best we can in the moment we have. And like you said, everything is forgiven. You have another moment, learn from those past experiences and just try your best. That's, that's all any of us can ask. And, you know, to your point earlier, you know, life was never perfect before dementia. None of us are perfect. And yet, I think the pressure is on through Facebook and a lot of the social medias to have it all together. And none of us do. None of us do. We all have our moments of weakness and, and that is just normal. And to me, we need to embrace those moments because I think we can go through them faster if we recognize them and process them. And, and having a mentor like you, Carla would just be, I, I would have loved having that when I was on, the journey with my with my own family. So thank you for the work that you're doing. People can get a hold of Carla by going to her website which is so many or you can email her at carla that's with a k, k a r l a at so somanygoodbyes.com and then she's also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn either by Carla Holtz or So Many Goodbyes. So very easy to reach out if you're looking for mentorship, if you're looking for a speaker in a workshop, an MC person, um, very diverse. And as you can see, um, wonderfully compassionate and articulate. So thank you for your journey and sharing it with us today.
1: And Lori, thank you so much for everything that you do and for having me on as a guest today. I truly appreciate it. I'm humbled and honored.
0: Well, we're all in this together and the more people we can raise voices of, the easier it's gonna be for people to connect and for us to all walk this journey graciously together. We're gonna to, to find that cure. We're gonna find more social supports that we need and, and we can't we can't find them and we can't develop them if we don't get people having this conversation. And that's the whole reason, you know, I started Alzheimer's Speaks was we've got to connect the dots in an easier fashion. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. So again, I want to thank our listeners. I just appreciate your likes, your shares, your follows, your input on what you want as new topics. Please continue to do that. And um, if you have any questions, you can reach me at radio at AlzheimerSpeaks.com or you can just go to our main website as well, alzheimerspeaks.com which we're going to be launching a new brand here pretty soon. So look for that. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebastia, your host of retire repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change, in fact the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.